Life Management Science Labs would like to acknowledge that we live and produce this podcast on the traditional lands of the Wurundjeri people. We'd also like to acknowledge the traditional owners of the lands of our listeners and our international colleagues. We'd like to pay our respects to the elders past, present and emerging. Hey everyone, and welcome to Raising Parents, the Parenting Science Insights Podcast, produced by LMSL, the Life Management Science Labs. We are champions of life management science, providing structured insights informed by science and inspired by practice on key aspects of conscious living. Each week, we bring you scientific and practical insights on each element with the expert knowledge of professionals in the field. I'm your host, Dina Sargent. Now, let's get started. So, hey guys, and welcome back to another episode. Today, we're talking about bullying. Now, there are so many different viewpoints on bullying. There are people who argue that it leads to children gaining resilience. There are people that it gains, um, that it's something that we could definitely live without. There are so many different opinions and I am so glad to have another person join me on the show today and talk about a little bit more. Uh, please welcome Jennifer Hancock. How are you going today, Jennifer? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on. I'm so glad to have you on. Now, you're the author of The Bullying Vaccine. Uh, can you tell me a little bit more about how you got into talking about bullying? Sure. So I went to the University of Hawaii at Manoa and while I was there, I studied cognitive linguistics. And one of the things that I did is I worked as a dolphin trainer at a dolphin language cognition research facility. Mm -hmm. And dolphin trainers, all animal trainers, learn how to shape behaviors. We learn how to condition behaviors. We learn how to reinforce the behaviors we want. And one of the things you learn how to do is how to, what we call, extinguish a behavior. So get, eliminate a behavior you don't want. And there are you know, 70 years of research from behavioral psychologists on how to get rid of unwanted behaviors. And so that is something I learned how to do. And fast forward in my life, I become a mom, I become an author, I'm doing publicity on my first book and I get asked about what my next projects are. And it was around the time that a lot of kids, there were a lot of suicides in the US uh, relating to bullying. And I said, well, you know, it's one of those things like if you know how to get bullying to stop, which I do because you can extinguish unwanted behaviors if you know how to do it using science, uh, it's immoral to not share that information given that kids are committing suicide. And so that is how I decided to share this information, write the book and try to get this information out there because we know how to get, science knows how to get unwanted behavior to stop, but this knowledge is not common knowledge in the population. Mm -hmm. So it's a moral of me not to share it because if I don't, who will? No, I, I think it's amazing. And I think, I think we had a little discussion before the recording about ways to stop it. And we will definitely get into that a little bit more because I am fascinated to know what your take is on stopping bullying. Um, before we get started and talking a little bit more about the topic, we love to start with a little icebreaker. It sort of gets to know you before we go into it. So just share the first thing that sort of comes to your head about what any of these topics that come to mind. The first one is your favorite book. That one is super easy. It's anything by Anne McCaffrey. She wrote the Dragon Riders of Pern series. She wrote the space opera and her writing. She was the first person I read who wrote women in leadership positions that I wanted to be. Like oh, wow. I could see myself as a leader and as a fully formed human being with agency as a result of her writing. So for me, she's central to who I became. That's amazing. Um, so does she do a lot of a whole, a whole, whole sort of mantra is sort of women in leadership sort of power. Yeah, all her main characters are female. So the Dragon Riders of Pern series is literally a, a, a chambermaid who be gets chosen by a dragon to ride the dragon and help save the planet from this external threat of thread coming down onto it. And she marries like the, the lead guy. And, but it's a lot, it's just her story. And there's so many spinoffs from it. There's like the dolphin writers of Pern, there's the song singers, it's like the crystal singers. There's It's a whole world she created. So she's kind of like J.R.R. Token in a way, mm -hmm. but for this, world called Pern. 
Um, the space opera is, it, it's a massive, it's a massive book. Um, and it's in three parts and it follows a mother, her daughter, and her granddaughter all. And at some point they're all basically the same age together because some people get like the mother, the first woman gets put in comas because she gets shipwrecked several times. Right? Oh, wow. So okay. It's kind of, it's an opera, right? It's a long, <laughs> long story, but it's so fascinating how these women get through all the trauma that they get through and come through, come through it. So it's amazing. Cause it's so different to what you see in like mainstream, mainstream areas where it's always the women on damsel distress kind of positions and, it's such a it's such an amazing thing when you see a woman written that's not like a demure sort of Jane Austen type person, right? Right, just, just real scrappy to... and get it done. Yeah, and it it's amazed me. I mean, I read those thirty ish years ago, and they still haven't been made into a movie or a TV show. And the stories oh, are God. so amazing. It's like imagine if Lord of the Rings was never a movie. That's how I feel about the Dragon Riders of Pern. That like they're so cinematic. Yeah. Like dragon riding. <laughs> like, hello. <laughs> no, like who who doesn't want the who doesn't want to be the focus of a movie and sort of the area that it's in as right. well. So I'm I'm amazed that it hasn't been done yet. Yeah. So the next one is your favorite movie at the moment. Um, my favorite movies are Bollywood movies, Indian movies. Okay. Um, I watch and yeah. way too many Hindi films. <laughs> way too many, if, that, if that's even possible. So the last it's one a, I saw was Shah yeah. Khan's Pathan. Oh, yes. Yes. That I know that very well. So good. <laughs> and John Abraham coming out of the pool. Yeah. I was fanning myself in the theater. Holy crap, that man is hot. <laughs> oh. <laughs> No, I can completely agree with you there. Just um, eye candy. <laughs> yes. In uh, in my house, it's a mandatory thing to love watching any kind of Hindi movie, um, Bollywood movie of all of all types. It doesn't matter whether it'll make you cry or make you laugh. They all make, make you cry. cry and laugh they all and... make you laugh. Yes. So Within many feels. like five seconds. <laughs> exactly. I ran out of tears. This is a true story. So I was watching Kadikashi Kadigan. <laughs> Okay, and I ran yeah. out of tears 15 minutes before the end because the second half of it, I was crying so much. And in hindsight, oh, I should have stopped and rehydrated, but I was so into the story. So I was dry crying. Oh, no. It was so painful. Okay. <laughs> I mean, it was so no. good, but it was so painful. Yes. No, I, I think that if there's any movie I would love to see the, for the first time again, it would be that movie. Right. Yeah. Because the second time you watch it, you sort of analyze it a little bit more. First time you watch it, it's just all in your emotions. Right. <laughs> I, someone told me, it's like, I was reading it through the subtitles and that's how much I was moved. And they said, oh, you're lucky you don't know Hindi. <laughs> it was so much more effective in Hindi. <laughs> I can imagine that. <laughs> the next one that we're talking about is your favorite podcast. I don't listen. Confession. I don't listen to podcasts. I... It's like nails on a chalkboard. Listen, I know we're doing a podcast, right? But I, it's like nails on a chalkboard listening to people just talk. I'm very visually, I'm a visual learner, a bit visual whatever. And so listening without visuals is, is really, I can do it with music. I love listening to music, mm. but talking. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I can understand that. I mean, I'm hosting a show. I don't listen to many podcasts. Um, I mainly listen to it because I'm listening to the other co-hosts, the other hosts of the other shows that we have uh, for the company, but that's pretty much the only ones I really intensely listen to. Right. Um, so yeah, I, I agree. I like the visual stuff. So if yeah. it's like a video podcast, I can do I'll that. listen to it. I can yeah. watch people talk, but just listening yeah. to them talk, I can't, it just, I, yes. it's like nails on, I just, my anxiety levels go through the roof. Do you have a favorite video podcast then? No. <laughs> no, currently, currently I'm watching, um, I follow two people. One is a guy in Sicily. It's Sicily okay. by Ape and he's driving this, like it's like a rickshaw, but an Italian version of that. So it's a motorcycle attached to a little truck. 
And he's going okay. around Sicily in it. And he that's really cool. And then there's another guy that's going around Eastern Europe. And I like mm-hmm. him a lot, but he's like really obsessed with like abandoned Russian architecture. <laughs> so like, he'll, okay. he'll go to places I know and he'll find these abandoned buildings. I'm like, but there's so much more in Varna, Bulgaria you could be seeing. <laughs> It's amazing when people find places like that, yeah. like places you normally would not see at all. They're able to just right. find Did little- Did he show us the opera house? Caps. No. No. <laughs> <laughs> Did he show us the shopping district and where you could get lunch? No. <laughs> no, he's not a travel guide. He's a, this is what's abandoned. Right, exactly. <laughs> um, the next one in contrast is a famous role model of yours. Carol Burnett, um, she and I share a birthday and I've oh, known wow. that since I was little and you know, I'm old. <laughs> so I grew up when she was still on the air with the Carol Burnett show. And you know, at that time, everybody tuned into it. I mean, there was only three channels, right? And everybody turned into them. Um, and so Carol Burnett, I just not, you know, partially because we share a birthday and learned about her, but also she's amazing. Like she is seriously mm-hmm. a talented person um, running her own show and all the things she's done. And she's such a great comedian that I just, she's, she's part of who I want to be when I grow up. <laughs> yeah, that's amazing. That, no, that's, that's pretty cool to have someone share a birthday and someone you really look up to yeah. at the same, at the same time. Yeah. Uh, the next one and the very last question is a course that you have completed. Um, okay. So even though I have online courses, I don't, it's like podcasts. <laughs> I don't, I read, okay. I need to read to learn. I can't like, if I took a, a course, I'd end up reading the lecture notes rather than really listening to, to it. Um, mm-hmm. because I need to read. So doing an online course, no, I will say I have a, um, a BA from University of Hawaii at Manoa in liberal studies, and I studied cognitive linguistics. Okay. Um, can you talk a little bit more about what that, sort of what that looked into? Um, so the University of Hawaii has a, a, a Peace Studies Institute, and they didn't really, I wanted to study linguistics, but they didn't have an undergraduate program for linguistics. It's a graduate mm-hmm. studies only. So I designed my own major out of the things I was most interested in. So I took a lot of linguistics courses for sure. Um, I took anthropology courses. I took psychology courses. And then of course I was training dolphins. So it's kind of a mishmash. It, it turned out while I was learning le- linguistics that, um, I like learning languages, but mostly because I like, I'm interested in what's happening to my brain as I'm processing a new language. So it's kind of part psychology, part anthropology, part linguistics, part dolphin training. (laughs) (laughs) The dolphin training is really interesting to me because I love going to like the little shows and seeing dolphins and just seeing how they are. because in Australia, there's this place in Brisbane called SeaWorld. And that's like, you get to see the little shows. I always used to be like, imagine what it'd be like to be a dolphin trainer. Like, it's just, I I mean, if I see a career, I suddenly want to be it. So sure, sure. I'm, I'm that kind of person. <laughs> yeah, it's a lot of hard work and it, it's gross in a lot of ways. Um, your day starts with um, prepping the fish and mm-hmm. getting their food ready and you have to throw you have to go through a lot of fish and and throw out everything that's got worms in it so you're in a sink of thawing fish p- pulling out the good ones and throwing away the bad ones and um and then you have to learn the skill set and you have to apprentice in it over time and it takes a few years to get good at it it's not something you can just step into you you do mm-hmm. have to learn how to not do it right to learn how to do it right okay well, that sounds very, that sounds very interesting. It sounds very helpful in like life as well, like a life skill. Yeah. So and that's, that, as we were talking before, you know, the, every, every organism learns and unlearns and it, their behavior is shaped. We, we humans are a combination of nature and nurture. We certainly have um, innate personalities, but every interaction you have with someone else uh, is 
is basically stimul- it comes down to stimulus and response. And mm-hmm. understanding how to shape behaviors, understanding how to um, eliminate behaviors you don't want is, is a, for humans is a really important life skill, right? Because you're always going to be um, interacting with various people. Some of them are going to be very pleasant. Some are not going to be pleasant. Understanding how to handle the unpleasant in a way that doesn't violate your own ethics, important life skill. And these skills are like when you talk about the positive parenting movement, what underlies that is 70 plus years of behavioral science. These rules that we follow are, it's kind of like evolution, right? It's established science. This is going to happen. If you do this, (laughs) you will get this response always. So um, the rules on how this works it should be common knowledge to everyone because the only way to defend yourself against manipulation is to understand how the manipulation is occurring and how to stop it and not allow the conditioning you're experiencing to condition you. But for parents, mm-hmm. like how do you sleep train a child is a question of behavioral psychology. You're extinguishing wow. an unwanted behavior of the child not going to sleep. <laughs> Well, that's that's it's the kind of really like learning and unlearning things. Yeah, like you go through different experiences and you either unlearn what it teaches you or you learn from it. Right. So. And when we talk from a behavioral perspective, when we talk about unlearning, and if you're listening to the podcast, you're not seeing me do the air quotes. But I will always put unlearning in air quotes because mm-hmm. technically, uh, you can't completely cause unlearning or extinction. All you can do is reduce the behavior enough that it's no longer a problem. But okay. given the right circumstances, they'll start again. <laughs> so it's like putting a person in a position where they're always still facing the situation or always still facing what it's the situation that it's caused them or the environment that it's caused. And Right. Well, let me, let me give you an example. Um, if you had a rat in a cage and it learned that it pressed a lever, it's going to get a treat. Right. And mm-hmm. so when it wants a treat, it goes and presses the lever. Well, what does that rat do when it presses the lever and nothing happens? It presses the lever more because it thinks the lever is broken and it's going to try and fix that lever by pressing it more. And it's going to press it more and it's going to press it more and it's going to press it more. And eventually, after pressing it a whole bunch of times, it'll kind of sort of stop. It'll give up. Right. Mm-hmm. Every once in a while, though, it'll go back and press that lever to see if it works again. It's not going to forget about the lever, right? But even if the lever is completely broken, it it won't be doing it all the time, but every once in a while, it's going to test that lever. Oh, wow. It's like, it's like the whole idea of like teaching a dog, like um, teaching a dog new tricks in a sense where it's like, yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's exactly when you're teaching a dog new tricks, you're using these techniques. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. So we've come today to talk about bullying and some of the different ways bullying occurs, some of the different things that strategies that it can be prevented for. Um, to start off with, how would you define bullying? So I don't, re- I know I wrote a book called The Bully Vaccine. <laughs> But I don't actually recommend people use that term. And here's why. It doesn't really mean anything. If I told you I was being bullied, that doesn't really tell you what's happening, right? I could be, someone could be calling me names. Someone could be threatening me. Someone could be sending me lusty letters. They could be punching me. It doesn't really tell you what it is. So I prefer um, the definition of harassment. And most legal jurisdictions have harassment as a crime. And it's defined as a pattern of behavior that serves no legitimate purpose except to upset the target of the harassment. Mm -hmm. All right. And that actually translates really well to what bullying is. It's a pattern of behavior that serves no legitimate purpose except to upset the target. The key to understanding Uh it is it's a pattern of behavior. And if you want Mm -hmm. a pattern of behavior to stop, there's only one known way in science to get a behavior of an established behavior to stop. And that is to use a technique known as extinguishing the behavior. So the, the definitions between harassment and bullying aren't so different at all. They're still very much 
the same the same meaning, but just a different word. We to just call don't it. like to put kids who are learning in mm-hmm. jail for you know calling someone a name. <laughs> like that would yeah. be bad. That's an overreaction to a child. The problem is that the behaviors that make up bullying um, that are stereotypical of a bullying situation when they're done in the adult real world are in fact criminal behaviors, which is why if we don't help kids learn learn to not do it, the, the kids that bully chronically end up having problems with you know law enforcement later on because these behaviors are not acceptable in the real world. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the whole idea of sort of bullying, why do you think that that was sort of, was that just something that you would hear about in school like it wouldn't be like it turns into a harassment as you get older right like we don't so talk too much about bullying in the workplace right we talk about harassment in the workplace yeah and it's illegal <laughs> because it's harassment and it's yeah. not just like i'm in the u.s so we have laws against harassment in the workplace but even if you're not in one of the quote-unquote protected classes harassment is a crime in every jurisdiction Yep. So the whole idea of like bullying, that was just pretty much created for children. No, I mean, this is one of those words that's been around forever. I don't know the origins of the word, but it's it's a common Mm -hmm. word that we use to describe childhood aggression um, that is of a specific nature, targeting a particular individual over time and ostracizing them. The big hallmark of, of what is happening in a bullying situation is usually the target is, is actually irrelevant to why the bully is doing this, right? What mm-hmm. the bully is really trying to do, um, which makes it a bit different from harassment, right? Um, if, you, if someone's annoyed with you, they might try to harass you. But in bullying in particular, what makes it unique is that the point of it is to socially ostracize someone. All right, so we humans are tribal species. We're just like chimpanzees, right? And we are evolved to be a member of a tribe. Being ostracized from the tribe has lethal Mm. implications for us, right? If we're a chimpanzee and we are ostracized from our chimpanzee tribe, we no longer can feed safely. We Mm. might not be able to get to food at all. And we're more at risk of being eaten by, say, a tiger or whatever eats chimpanzees, right? So being ostracized from a tribe is is life-threatening and our our primal brain responds to the threat of social ostracizing as if it's a mortal threat because evolutionarily speaking it is right but in the real world if you're ostracized on a playground um like really nothing happens to you right your brain doesn't know that but really nothing like you could look around and find some other friends to be friends with but our brains don't know that all right. Yeah. So what happens is a bully is choosing someone they can easily social socially ostracize. That puts them, if they are successful in doing that, that puts them in a very powerful position that they can decide who's in and who's out. And most humans respond to that by wanting to be in and incurring favor of the person who could make them out. And Evolutionarily speaking, it's no longer an adaptive strategy to do that, but it's mm-hmm. it's something we evolved to respond to. Now, there's obviously people who don't care if they're ostracized at all, and it has no impact on, right? So we there's different personalities. Some people are more susceptible to this threat. Other people are less, but that's what's happening. Why it's so devastating to children to be socially ostracized in this way. Mm-hmm. And talking about the science, like behavioral science behind it, what is the relationship between parenting behaviors and a child's involvement in bullying? Almost nothing. Mm -hmm. All right. Um, So there's like four different parenting styles, right? There's the authoritarian style. There's the authoritative style. And whoever named these two things, like, come on. Um, (laughs) There's um, the neglectful parent, and then there's the over-involved parent. I forget what they're called. Um, The authoritarian child is basically bullied into submission. You do what I say, or. And because of that, they tend to be um, more susceptible to bullying in terms of 
it being able to manipulate them because they've already been groomed to be an active respond to bullying the way a bully wants them to respond. Um, but other than that, the other three types um, aren't as susceptible, I would say. Um, certainly the authoritative, the research on kids who grew up in authoritative households um, as opposed to authoritarian, they tend to grow up to be uh, eth powerfully ethical. And they're the sort of people that end up standing up to bullies. So, mm -hmm. so the whole... Idea. They're the ones and that like, stood up to the Nazis. The research that was done post-World War II, the people that grew yeah. up um, in authoritarian households sided with the Nazis. The people who grew up in authoritative households were the leaders in the fight against the Nazis. Every The other two ones just kind of kept their heads down. Okay. So, so talking about it a little bit more, how can behavioral science help us to understand bullying behavior sure so all bullying is, is bullying is behavior it's a learned behavior um mm -hmm. children have natural personalities every parent knows this so, you know some kids are more gregarious some kids are more quiet um, some have a natural tendency to aggression and at a very early age as they start interacting with other kids they can learn through experimentation that if i'm aggressive i can get my way in the social group I want to play this game, not that game. And if I'm aggressive, they'll play the game I want them to play. And it's positively mm -hmm. reinforced. So in most cases, when you see bullying, understand it works. The bully is doing that because it works for them. <laughs> yeah. um, and so, but the nice thing about it is with the science, we know not only that it can be learned, but we also know how to cause an air quoting here unlearning. We can get okay. it to stop if we want to using the science of how you make that stop okay so basically the bullying behavior is something that like i know that a lot of children learn from watching and they learn from just viewing right, their apes. parent we and ape. yeah so does that sort of have the root cause of like added on to the behavior it could also be the way that a parent's reaction to things oh of. absolutely that can have an impact i remember when my son was um small i took him to a playground and he tried to get in with some older kids and one of the kids pushed him and mm -hmm. he didn't know why he was being pushed but he it was clear to me in subsequent interactions he thought that's how you say hello to a group of boys so he would go into a group and if there were boys he'd run up to them and push them Right. Because okay. he was aping. He didn't understand what he was aping, but it was there. Right. And I had to mm. explain to him, um, you're not going to make friends that way. The better way to make friends is to do like this up, say hi. <laughs> you know? Yep. I, uh, but that's with really little kids. Right. Um, but they they will learn from other kids. There are situations where victims of bullying become bullies themselves. They bully back. A lot of times that's happening because they've given up on all other opportunities and they they just like okay, nothing else works, I might as well do what the bully's doing. And that actually can work, right? So there's a reason, like, a lot of times when I talk to people about this, I'll get people that say, no, you just got to punch the bully, right? And I, my position as an educator on this is if it's gotten to the point where it's physically violent, all the adults around these children have failed them, right? Like, the kids yep. don't know. A five-year-old does not know what an adult knows. They haven't read the research you know, they haven't been taught. They have to be explicitly taught this. This is not so much about what you have to do to get an unwanted behavior directed at you to stop is so counterintuitive that you have to be explicitly taught. Right. Mm -hmm. So and most parents don't know this. They've never been taught it themselves. Everybody's kind of flying by the seat of the pants. What worked for me eventually and when I went through it? Um, and they give that advice and they give it to their kid and the kid tries it. It doesn't work. They stop coming to the parent entirely. And eventually, you know, what the research shows is, is bullying starts, starts escalating by middle school it peaks and around high school, it starts to decrease again. And that's exactly, exactly what the behaviorists predict will happen in a free flow environment on, on a bullying situation. It's like it models the extinction process completely. But we can short, there's no reason to make kids go through learning on their own, especially since some kids never learn this, right? Some kids are horribly traumatized by this and 
and it affects them for the rest of their lives. We can actively, proactively teach this, help kids learn what they need to do to make it stop earlier on, right? And imagine like what those kids are like if they learn early on how to handle a difficult person in a way that doesn't require things escalating to violence. Okay. Right? That would be really cool. Yeah. <laughs> no, I think I think it's amazing like especially watching a child's reaction to being bullied. Like there's a lot of for example there's a lot of films that sort of have a perception of both the bully and the person the child being bullied and I love seeing the perspective of how the person the child that's being bullied is reacting to it. Right. And and it just sort of picks up. I think you said that a little bit earlier where like the, the bullied becomes the bully. Right. And like in my head, I'm like, imagine if every child in the school was a bully, like every single child there There'd bullied each other. There'd be a huge other. amount of violence. Like you don't actually yeah. want that, right? You want you no. want a, ki- a group of kids. Like if you could teach kids how to get bullying to stop successfully in kindergarten, <clears throat> then the kids who would have learned that bullying works, learn it doesn't work. And they learn other ways to channel their talents and trust me, mm. manipulating people is a talent, <laughs> <You know? laughs> um, but they learn other ways to do that, that are more pro-social. They can lead in more pro-social ways um, that society thinks is pro-social and no kid is traumatized. Like what are those kids like when they grow up? I mean, this is an important life skill and we're letting kids learn it on their own when we could be teaching them. Yeah. Right. It's a, yeah. Kids need to learn how to deal with bullying. We should be teaching them that, not doing a seek or swim approach. Like we we don't, most of us, well, you're in Australia. I grew up in Hermosa Beach. When I was young, our parents did just throw us out in the ocean and say swim. All right. But they were there watching. If we had really started drowning, they would have come out and help us. Right. But most kids benefit from being taught how to swim in a yeah. structured way. And we can teach kids how to stop bullying in a structured way. We should be doing that. Yes, no, I I definitely agree because you see a lot of different ways and a different area into how children bully. Now, we're going to start talking about the different types of bullying that occurs. Um, And how do they differ from one another? So when this question is normally asked of most normal researchers... (laughs) They'll say, okay, so there's verbal bullying, there's threats, there's actual violence, right? I'm a behavioralist, Mm -hmm. so I look at it slightly differently. There's adaptive Mm -hmm. bullying, there's maladaptive bullying, and then there's bullying because of a mental um, illness of sort, sort, specifically um, psychopathy and sociopathy, all right? So someone who's bullying adaptively learn to do it, it was positively reinforced for them, and they do it because it works. Right. That contrast with a child who's experiencing trauma of some sort somewhere in the life and they are acting out. They're behaving badly. Now, their behavior <clears throat> might be labeled as bullying, but it's actually completely maladaptive. They, they, they are struggling. All right. And the proper response to that is to help that child with the underlying problems that are causing them to behave badly, whatever that stress is, right? With an adaptive bullying, you can use the extinction protocol and teach them to not do that, right? Maladaptive bullying, they need an intervention. Mm-hmm. With the sociopaths and the psychopaths, if their sociopathy and psychopathy is manifesting as harm to others, um, then their intervention is going to be completely different because you can't train that out of a sociopath, right? Like it's, yeah. So, um, you know, part of the problem we have is we have so much adaptive bullying that we can't tell if it's adaptive or maladaptive. So the the adults, the administrators are looking at this. They see a child behaving badly. They should be approaching all children behaving badly with compassion, including the victims of this behavior. Obviously, those are the first people we should be concerned about. But these are children. They're not adults. Like, why is a five-year-old punching kids on the bus, right? That's like the question that should be asked, not how do we get this bullying to stop, a why is, but that's not the question a child needs to be asking, right? The child doesn't is not an administrator. They're not an adult. They just need to know, what do I do when I get punched in the stomach on the bus as I'm walking onto the bus, right? 
So what we teach a child is very different than what an adult's going to be doing. And I, I'm very clear on this. You know, I don't teach children how to stop bullying. I teach their parents. I teach the administrators because they're the ones charged with teaching the kids. And what the adults need to do is different from what the child needs to do. It's not the target's responsibility to psychoanalyze the person who's punching them in the stomach. Right? It's just not. What they need to do is be kept safe and not get punched in the stomach. Like that's the only thing that matters. So, but it's the adults, the adults around them need to help that child be safe while also doing the psychoanalyst or whatever needs to happen for the child that's doing the punching. Mm -hmm. If that makes sense. No, it, it totally does. Like in with that theory, how do you sort of do it when it comes to, for example, cyberbullying or online bullying? How does that sort of come into place? Oh, cyberbullying is the easiest stuff to stop. Oh my gosh, it's so easy to stop. <laughs> like, like if someone is in your face yelling at you and saying rude things, getting away from them physically safely is can be very, very hard to do. But online, mm-hmm. mute their mute them. All right, so let me like let me kind of back up and talk about what this technique is, what we know works for science to get an unwanted behavior to stop. So the assumption is all behavior is reinforced. If the behavior is happening, it's either an experimentation behavior or it's an established behavior. If it's established, so bullying is happening, it's a pattern of behavior, um, it's been positively reinforced. The way you make it stop is to remove the reward. This is not ignore mm-hmm. it and it'll go away. That's not how you do it in a behavioral situation. In behavior training, we have two signals that we use when we're training an animal or a kid. We have a bridge, which is a signal that what just happened is good, you will get a reward. And we have a delta, which means what just happened was wrong, you will not be getting a reward. It's not a negative thing. This is not, you know, in a training situation, no is not a moral judgment. Right. It's just that was mm-hmm. not right. You're not getting a reward. Come back. We'll try again. That's all that means. That's all a delta is. So yeah. you're not ignoring the behavior, but you're signaling to the child that that behavior was not okay and they will not get a reward from it. Okay. So let me give you okay. an example of this. Um, say a child is being called names like four eyes, um, which I don't know how common that is anymore, but um, it used to be really common when I was young. And it's still really common. <laughs> probably still really common. Um, I would teach the parent to teach the child to say, to come up with something they can say to show the bully that they are not bothered and that what the bully just did was kind of, to be honest, stupid. All right. Because what the bully wants is an emotional reaction. That's their reward. Mm-hmm. If they can show other people that they can, can, can manipulate someone else's emotions, that's power, baby. Right. So the key is to not, to, to issue a delta in the form of a statement that's truthful and shows the bully that you are not bothered by them. So in this case, something like, you know, if the child has a good vocabulary, you might have them say something like, thank you for that information. It was very helpful. In a completely monotone, non-emotional way, like a great, imagine you're a gray walk saying this, right? You're not gonna Mm -hmm. be fun to bully if every time someone calls you four eyes, you say, thank you for that information. It was very helpful. Not only will you not be fun to bully, but if the bully's performing for other people, the other people will start looking at that bully like there's something wrong with them if they continue. Mm-hmm. All right. So it's the issuing of a delta and while simultaneously removing the reward is what makes the behavior stop. But that's like the first part of it. This is why um, the common advice is ignore them and they'll go away. Don't reward them. And eventually after a period of time, they will stop, but they don't stop right away. Right. Um, The next part of the science that's absolutely critical to making this work is that if you've got an established behavior, meaning it's been going on for a while, it's not going to work right. Removing the reward right away doesn't work. It's like that rat pressing the lever or, oh, hey, if you've ever been to a vending machine that doesn't work, do you just go, oh, it didn't work? Or do you hit the darn machine, right? When a behavior doesn't work anymore, 
the the animal escalates. All right. The escalation is how bad the escalation get is a factor of how long the behavior has been going on um, and how naturally aggressive the animal is in general. All right. So if it's well established, this will take longer and it'll get if the animal is naturally aggressive, it could get quite violent. All right. But if it's brand new, like the first time someone says, hey, four eyes, you respond to them and stare them right in the eye. Or if you can't look at their forehead or their nose, some kids find eye contact really difficult, but you can't look away, right? You have to look somewhere on their face and you say, thanks for that information. It's very helpful. They might try it a couple of times, but they're going to give up and just learn that you're not worth bothering with, right? They want someone who's going to respond. Okay. If, however, yeah. this has been going on for a year and a half, um, other kids are involved and it's a fun game for them, then it could take a lot longer. And this escalation that's going to occur um, can be quite devastating. It can, you know, if, if it's verbal, it can escalate to threats. If it's threats, it can escalate to violence. If it's already violent, we're talking about more violence. The thing I want parents to understand is there's no alternative to this. Mm -hmm. Right. This is the unfortunate reality of what it takes to extinguish an unwanted behavior. There is no silver bullet. There's nothing you can say to make this escalation not happen. And it can get <clears throat> quite bad. So the thing we need to be aware of as adults helping children is what stage is it at? How long has it been going on? And make sure the kid knows this is not a silver bullet. When I teach parents to teach their kids this, um, I tell them, you need to tell them that the, the bully will probably escalate. They will probably try to fight back in some way, shape or form. And that me if they, if they do that, that means they didn't like what you just did and you should do it more. Right. But if mm -hmm. it's already violent, like you need to have protections in place because the escalation will be more violent. Right. So, but yeah. it, pretending that this does not happen is is harming our kids, right? If you tell the child, oh, this is what I want you to tell the bully, but you don't tell them what the bully is going to do in response to that when that is known, then what happens is the kid tries it, the bullying gets worse, and they decide, well, that didn't work. And in reality, mm -hmm. that escalation is proof that it did. Yep. No, that, it makes total sense. Like, it, science, the thing baby. Is, it makes, <laughs> yeah, exactly. It makes complete sense in in so many different ways. Um, but why do you think that we're just struggling with the idea of sort of putting it into practice and teaching our children that that's what you're supposed to do? Right. Well, um, <laughs> I'm going to give you my honest opinion. All right. I am one of three people in the world who teaches this. Like there's a guy in Israel, in Israel. Then there's a guy in the U.S. who was taught by the guy in Israel. And then there's me. Okay. Okay. And mm -hmm. when I talked to, like, when I um, wrote my book, I gave it to the school psychologist. She's like, oh, my God, we need this everywhere. You need to talk to the Association of School Psychologists. And you want to know what they told me? We're only what interested in prevention. Oh. Okay. And, and okay. so from a behavioral standpoint, I understand why they said that, right? Prevention is easy. Extinguishing a behavior is the hardest thing you can do. Like if the first time they do something and you shut it down, you're golden. But if it becomes established and you want to try and get it to stop, there's only one way to do it. You have to go through like proverbial hell to get through it because of the escalation. And mm -hmm. rightfully so, you know, it's kind of a moral for an educator to say, I'm going to need you to do this thing, but you could get beat up if I had you do it. Right. Yep. So I understand that. The problem is if we don't teach kids the reality of what the science says is going to happen, then we're leaving them to their own devices and it's going to escalate anyways. And that's exactly what the data shows, right? It gets more worse and more violent as kids get into middle school. Eventually around high school, kids are able to find their own cliques. They're able to not ignore and be, get away from the bullies and just avoid them altogether. All right. But we don't have to go through this pattern anymore. 
right? If we teach the elimination protocol, we are in fact teaching the prevention protocol. Mm -hmm. It's the same protocol. It's just the whole thing and not a tiny snippet of it that kids then try and go, well, that didn't work, right? So I think part of the problem is that a lot of the problem is people are coming to it from sociology. I spoke at the last anti World Anti-Bullying Forum um, in October, and I had some conversations with uh, a sociologist out of Korea. Um, and they said, this is really interesting, but this, I said, no, you showed me your data. You had me look at your data and I can see the escalation that is predicted to occur in your data. And you're attributing that escalation as an anomaly and you, explain it away with some untested theory that has nothing to do with what behavioral is. Like, I can tell you why this happened. I have seven years of research to tell you what's happened and you're ascribing it to something else. They don't know what they don't know, right? They're trained sociologists. Yeah. They're not trained animal trainers, right? The same thing happens mm-hmm. when you do um, harassment in the workplace, right? Most of the work is done by lawyers who don't know anything about psychology. Right. Yeah. So the entire protocols, like if you get trained in how to stop harassment in the workplace in California, it's a two hour training with 20 topics. <clears throat> Only one of them is how to make the unwanted behavior stop, which needs about an hour. <laughs> right. Okay. All the topics are the laws. They think if, you know, in the whole history of humanity, telling people it's against the law, so don't do it has never worked. And yet that's right. our approach. Right. We need to shift the paradigm and say, okay, behavioral scientists actually know what they're talking about. They have 70 years. It's established science. This is definitely going to happen. So yet let's use this to help us. And it's starting to happen in some areas. I know with, um, with domestic violence, right? Women who get a restraining order or there's some trigger at or, or an increased risk of violence from their partners for a short period of time. Well, that's predicted by the behavioral model. When you remove the reward, you see an escalation. Mm -hmm. All right. So they're starting to plan for it. And when you plan for it, you can help the target get through it by insulating them from the blowback. You know, the blowback should be directed as an adult, not at a child. But because no one's planning for that, it's the child's on their own for the most part. So how does it get to a point? Because I know that the I grew up in a lot of ways where a lot of teachers did not want to ever deal with the idea that a child in their class is being bullied. Right. And there are a lot of teachers who I saw who said they don't want to rock the boat when it comes to bringing the parents in. Um, I remember this one discussion in primary school about one of the teachers saying that bullying leads to resilience and then she's going to become a resilient child. Or Um, a dead child. (laughs) Yeah. Like, or a dead child. Right. Um, So there's a couple of things that are happening, right? Um, One is the teachers have not been taught this, right? (laughs) Like it's possible the school psychologists may kind of sort of know this, but having given presentations to psychologists, I can tell you they learned it as book knowledge, but not as a practical skill, right? When I tell them okay. about it, they go, oh yeah. Oh yeah. Not only would that work, it's the only thing that would. That's like in a psychologist, a school psychologist, that should not be their response, right? Right. No, yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, so, and the same thing with the, the, the school counselors, they learned about it, but not as a practical skill. All right. Um, So we need to kind of bridge that gap with them, I think, first. The other thing that happens is that none of the reporting in a school is set up to handle a pattern of behavior. And bullying is a pattern of behavior. So, you know, if a kid comes up to a teacher and says, I'm being bullied by kid A, um, they say, well, what are they doing? Well, the kid comes and says, oh, well, they called me a name. Right. But that doesn't show the pattern. That's like a single incident in a pattern. Right. I had a kid mm-hmm. who went through my um, the the toolkit I provide online, which is free at the bullyvaccineproject.com. And they went through it. And about a month in, they started to fully use my documentation log that I provide as part of the way the parents debrief the kid after every day. And once they started to use this, and again, this was one month into the program, their parent brought them to me because the child was suicidal. 
Okay. They had already gotten to the point where the child's yeah. suicidal. One month into it, the kid starts using this log and they're logging 30, 40, 50 incidences every day from one kid towards them. Right. This was invisible wow. to the parent, yeah. to the teachers, to the administrators. They knew there was a problem, but they didn't know it. This kid was getting death threats from the boy who sat behind her. Death threats. Okay. All right. So the school is not prepared for that. They're dealing with one-off incidences and a pattern of behavior. They can't track it. They don't have the skills to track it. They don't know to track it. They they don't have. They're not set up for it. And 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 it's such a problem that they don't want to deal with it at all because they don't have a way to deal with it. Right. My son was yeah. on a bus and like this punching kids on the bus. There was a kindergartner on his bus was punching everybody who came on the bus and he punched my kid on the bus. My son told me about it and I told the principal about it. And she said, you need to call the, um, the bus company. And the bus driver the next morning told me, thanked me. And she's like, thank you. I have set eight notifications on this kid in a week. And no one's done anything. So that's the bus driver's perspective, right? This mm -hmm. kid was two notices away from being banned from the bus entirely. A kindergartner, wow. right? Because the bus driver filled out the form she was supposed to fill out and turned it in, right? Yeah. A week later, the principal didn't even know this was happening. The parent didn't know it was happening, right? Because of the way things were communicated, it's just they're mm -hmm. not set up to track multiple instances of problematic behavior, right? Yeah. And that's one of the things, if you're an administrator or a teacher, I have a five point plan to stop bullying in the schools that talks about what needs to happen. And if you learn the technique of what needs to happen, um, you have to like change the systems to see and track the patterns in order to deal with the patterns in order to get them to stop. Mm -hmm. So when you're talking about that plan, how does it work in the sort of a school system? Because I know school systems, a lot, some, a lot of them say that they have sort of a bullying prevention plan. And they talk about that a lot when it comes to, I remember hearing that so many times, but they never knew what to really do. Right. So the, the standard plan is kind of what I call the legal plan which is if mm -hmm. kids know it's wrong, they won't do it. Yeah. And if we okay. tell them to not do it, they won't do it. And never in the history of humanity has that ever worked. Like you can't go to a bully and say, don't do that. Never works. <laughs> like it's just, everybody knows it's stupid, but that's the approach. And the, the approach is on the assumption that everybody's a rational actor. And people mm -hmm. are not. When it comes to bully, there's no rationality to it at all. Um, it's just, it's a conditioned response. So yeah, it's, you know, they have to learn what works instead of assuming they know what works based on their own personal experience of trauma and abuse at the hands of bullies throughout their years and experience as a teacher. Um, instead, get the science, learn what it takes to actually make unwanted behavior stop, what is hard to do about it. Uh, the other thing that happens is there's, there's a program called Oveas. And Elvius is 100% correct, all right? But a lot of it is about making people aware and trying to get bystanders to become what they call upstanders. The problem with Elvius and the reason Elvius is only 50% successful is because he only teaches 50% of the protocol, mm -hmm. right? There's more to it. He's right, but he, he teaches the first two elements of a seven element process. Yeah. Right. And so you need the other five mm -hmm. elements to really understand, okay, I do this, they do this, I do this, then what? Right. And it's the then what that dictates whether you're going to be successful or not. All right. So now we're coming up to the final section of the show. And this is one of my favorite ones because every guest has a very different thing that they like to talk about. Um, we're coming up to the open mic. And now this gets you a chance to talk about anything that you're passionate about or something that you want to share with our audience. Uh, it could be a, some projects or anything that you are working on at the moment. And we'd love to hear about it. So during these last five minutes, um, I'd definitely, a few minutes or so, we'd definitely have to have you share a few things that's 
you'll mind to talk about? Sure. Well, in addition to trying to change how the world deals with bullying, at my website, bullyvaccineproject.com, Mm-hmm. Um, I'm also passionate about um, humanism. I'm a humanist and I'm a humanist educator. My company's called Humanist Learning Systems. And I really do think a combination of um, a behavioral approach, understanding how behaviors are shaped and whatnot, with a compassion based a compassion based approach to living, is helpful. And I think more people would benefit if they knew about it. I meet so many people that have kind of gone through some sort of spiritual journey, right? And then they end up learning about compassion and it fits in with whatever else they believe. It's where they came to like the the ethic part of it, right? The ethic parts Mm -hmm. of whatever they believe. And so I do think people would benefit from learning about that. That's why I do what I do. Um, But it's got to be combined with the behavior because that's what makes it work. Like the yeah. cool thing about what I teach is you do need compassion to do it well and do it correctly. Um, and the compassion helps you do the science and the science says you should be compassionate. So. No, I, no, I definitely, I love that. And I love, I love that you have a whole company that's sort of just directed into trying to help in how people see, see different things and see different situations because I mean, a lot of people say that they want to change the world, but not a lot of people actually try to. So it's um, it's definitely well, commendable. getting it done is really hard. Like I feel like I've completely failed to get the world to change how they learn about and teach bullying. Right? <laughs> like there's only three of us, and there it should be standard. So yes, well, three is better than none. That's and it's true. A, it's it's a whole lot better start than to what the what we grew up with and not having that availability at all. True. So I guess in a way it does make you resilient. It just makes you want to change it even more. Right. <laughs> exactly. We just need to be using the science. Yes, so. exactly. Yeah. Um, and, the, and the thing is, like, my mom taught me how to get a bully to stop when I was young. So I was never really bullied because yeah. she taught me the technique that works. It turns out the technique she taught me is backed by science, right? Okay. So, I mean, it is teachable. Yes. If you know what you're supposed to be teaching, that's step one. Learn what you're supposed to learn. You don't know yes. it, learn it. Yes. And I think that's that's definitely amazing. Um, I want to thank you so much, Jennifer, for coming on and for talking about bullying in a behavioralist kind of point of view because not a lot of people do that and like you said there's three people in the world that do this um and i'm glad i'm so privileged to have you you be one of them and you come onto the show and talk about this a little bit more sure um and i wanted can i just say to the parents out there if you learn this it will make you a better parent because a lot of the things that you're struggling with um, the, the neat thing about the book is when I wrote it, people would say, oh, I can see it happening here in this completely unrelated area of my life. And it's because I teach what's happening in the large sense and then apply it to bullying, but applies to all areas of your life. And once you know this, you can gain more control over all aspects of your life. Yes. No, it's a, it's a good point. It's a really nice way of ending it because it's such a thing that should be standard to know and should be something that we not only teach our kids, but we teach ourselves. Right. And and I think that's the most important part of it. Um, so if there is a way that audience member would like to get to talk to you a little bit more, um, sort of email you, is there a way that they can get it in contact with you? Absolutely. My website, bullyvaccineproject.com, has a contact page. All the material on it is free. You don't have to sign up or give me your email or anything. You can just peruse the videos, learn what you want to learn. If you have questions, you can contact me using the contact form. Okay, perfect. And I will definitely have that down in the link below in order for it, every audience member to have free access to it. So that's great. Um, well, thank you so much, Jennifer, for talking to us today and sort of enlightening us a little bit more um, on this position and, and especially on the different ways that bullying can be stopped. Because it's very interesting when people say that it it's something that you just go through. But Yeah, no. Kids no. are better off if they don't go through it. Yes, I can agree with that. 
Um, thank you guys so much for listening and I will definitely see you guys in the next episode. You've been listening to Raising Parents, the Parenting Science Insights podcast, produced by the Parenting Science Labs, a division of LMSL, the Life Management Science Labs. More episodes are available from 10 Life Management Perspectives and can be found by searching LMSL on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and other podcasting apps available on your smartphone. If you enjoyed this episode, please rate, share, and subscribe to our channel so that other people can find it and we can continue to provide quality content. More of our work can be found on our website at pa.lmsl.net, where you can join our movement. I'm Dina Sargent, and thanks for tuning in.